if you guys want to go on camera, you're welcome to too, but you know, I don't know how else to do it. But anyways, okay. So here we are. Happy to see you all. What's that? Okay. How about now? Can you hear me now? Great. All right. I am officially, we're just going to call it live right this second. Um, the video, the audio is broken up again. Is it really? Oh, <laughs> okay. Hang on. Okay, let me know if that happens again and I'll just switch computers and we'll continue, okay? You guys can hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. So, how do I get out of that screen so I can see y'all? Oh, there we go. Okay. I am just going to, if you want to see me live, I'm just going to use the video feature in the Discord channel that we're in currently because I cannot seem to get the OBS thing going. It's probably just my computer and um, that's what happens sometimes. But the main thing is that we're all here. I'm super, super happy to be here, you guys. This is the Crypto Queen show. And what that means is we're trying to mainstream all things crypto all the time. And I consider myself an expert because I'm not an expert. Basically, I am not the typical crypto person. I'm not the typical techie. I am the average Joe. And if I can love this, then so can everyone else. I absolutely love this industry. I love the field. I love the technology. I understand not a lot about how a blockchain works other than what happens when you use it and the use cases that are available upon it and a little bit about nodes and servers and kind of how the algorithms work. So what we're dealing with here is lots of great news. We have some incredible uh, guests on today. And let me see if I can try and pull the names up because they're showing up kind of weird for me. But we have Apps Hamilton, otherwise known as Andrew Hamilton. Thanks for being on the show with us today. Thanks for coming. Pleasure. And we also have Brian of London, which I don't have your actual real name. I'm assuming it's Brian. It is Brian, yes. Thanks so much for coming. Now, as far as I understand it, you two are both uh, from Australia, but you don't both live there, correct? I'm from Australia, and I live in Tel Aviv, and uh, Brian uh, is from London. Brian of London. Brian of London. Okay, that's what I, it's, it's so funny because I thought you were from London, hence the name, and you sound Londonish, but you never know these days. It's all over the map. I am of London, not in London. Of London, oh. Oh, and I love your accent, you guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to be cliche, and I'm going to say that right now. Um, so for those of you just tuning in, we are going to talk about some pretty cool stuff today. Some very interesting topics, I might add. We'll cover basically two issues. 
And they both fall under the legalities of crypto umbrella. So issue number one, and thanks everyone for being here. I'm seeing all of your icons, but for some reason I have this listed in a way that isn't showing your names. This is really weird. Let me log back out and log in. Let's see what happens. There we go. Okay. Okay. I see you all now. Okay. I just want to say hello to everyone. Alex Rourke, Ashby, Blue Robo, Done Stuff, Fox On, Hive Quab, otherwise known as. Can't use video. Sorry. Radio killed the radio star. I can't use video? No. Totally. It, 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 you just, your audio goes to hell. We can't understand. Oh, okay. I'll take it out then. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay. Is that better? Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. We'll just scrap the video then. That's fine. So we, um, and then the hive, obviously I forgot to say hello to the hive and and I just wanted to make sure everyone's audio is good. If you want to hop on mic, I encourage you to do so, but try and save it for the end of the show, unless you're um, as a guest today. And, and if you have something to say, we really want to hear it. Just try and get us in the chats first. And I'll do my best to pay attention. Um, yeah, Blue Robo just says don't use your video. Everybody says don't use your video. Fine, I won't use my video. Next time, maybe what I'll do is I will... <laughs> I'll just like restart my computer altogether before we get going. Um, anyway, thanks everyone for showing up on the Crypto Queen show where we try to mainstream all things crypto for those who are not otherwise exposed to this stuff. And for the first issue on the agenda today is I just wanna jump right into it. And uh, Apps Hamilton has discussed this issue. He actually posted a <clears throat> a clever little exchange a week ago, seven days ago, on the Hive blockchain. And if I if I would go ahead and quote you, if that's okay, it's the urgent warning to exchanges: do not run hard fork twenty three until stolen funds are returned. Doing so may implicate you in a criminal conspiracy. Okay, so that's not that is not a shy warning. Let's just jump into this and talk about, first of all, we're going to kind of briefly recap what's taken place with Justin Sun and his Hard Fork 23. And then we really just wanted to dive into the legalities of it. What's, what are our options available to those 65 who were targeted in that Hard Fork? And then after we discuss those issues, I wanted to get into your class action lawsuit and we'll try and make it kind of brief because I know you do have a short timeline here. So we'll jump into it and I apologize for getting going a little bit late due to our little funny technical difficulties. So let's start off with the running hard fork 23. When you say do not run hard fork 23, are you referring to even such peonistic users as myself who's simply a little blogger trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents or are you simply referring to those witnesses who are running nodes that are churning out blocks that are thereby 
considered hard fork 23 versus hard fork 24, which is the system of the Steam blockchain that was previously existing on before Justin Sun made the decision to fork away 65, or rather the, the assets of 65 major accounts if that's if that's not a summary i don't know what it is but but are you referring to regular users or are you referring to those who run nodes just the people who are running nodes um let's, I, i'm talking to the you know the if you're running a node either a witness node or an actual node users regular users don't run nodes they're just accessing the blockchain via front ends like pc or hive.io or, or uh, they're not running nodes, they're not running the code. There's the code of the thieves hard fork is tainted code. Um, and running it uh, can be seen as a, a as an agreement to that code and can be bring bring you into a criminal a criminal conspiracy. I I gave a legal opinion nine days ago, which just outlined quite simply looking at the law, what the law on theft is in different places like in Texas or the uh, you know, I, or even Hammurabi's code. It's all pretty much the same. That's pretty standard, you know. Um, unlawfully appropriate property with the intent to deprive the owner of the property. Something along those lines. Dishonestly appropriate property with intent to permanently be deprived. It's uh, pretty standard. It's a criminal offence. You know, it's sort of like the most basic thing anyone ever learns. Do not steal. Just like in... Uh, um, Stealing is bad. So, um, you know, I analyzed the law, I showed that it's a criminal offense, and then I analyzed the law on criminal conspiracy in those jurisdictions and showed that basically if you make an agreement to do something criminal, then all the people who are part of that agreement become part of the criminal conspiracy. And um, because the code is what implements the theft, the mechanism of the theft is the code. You know, you rob yeah. a bank, you know, drive a truck into the vault and smash through and take the gold or whatever, you know, you rob someone on the street, you use a gun and you hang them up. The, the, you know, the implementation, the method of implementing the theft is the code. So if you run that code on your computer, that's an active step, not just posting on Hive, an active step to upgrade your um, Steam blockchain code from 22.5, I think that's what they were running before, to 23, you're taking an active step to run code that implements theft. So it could bring, make you part of the criminal conspiracy that and was in place between the people who set up this code and started the witnesses. That, that's the, the nucleus of the conspiracy is the witnesses and you know the people who, person who was behind those witnesses, Justin Sun, he, and he controls their election. But then broader, if it's, if people run it more broadly, there's a real risk that law enforcement will see that they're part of the conspiracy. I think that was really well, really well put together. Thank you for that explanation. And <clears throat> just as a quick little update, what we did last week on this show is we established that the hard fork that Justin's son, I wouldn't say encouraged, I would say enforced. <laughs> the hard fork that Justin's son enforced with his Steam blockchain, what we did determine, at least according to our own legal understandings, and you are an attorney, who is registered in the state of Australia, and I don't know where else, but as far as I understand, most of the 
laws that you provided and provisions that we read from are fairly basic understandings of what theft is and which which what it is is it's wrongful appropriation without the consent of the owner and we established that it was um uh, property we established that it was separate property we established that the property belonged to particular owners and we established that it was appropriated outside of those owners and that it was done without the consent of those owners i i think that's pretty basic understanding of what theft or or wrongful appropriation would be so we came to that decision last week at least in an informal sense not in a court of law we're just a show we just talk but on on a level that we can all at least appreciate as a professional and a formal understanding of a law is that theft is not good it's not right it is not, it's not something that we can agree with where we get some difficulty is is that this is blockchain it's cryptocurrency we're kind of on cutting edge technology we're we we haven't really established a huge precedence in a court of law simply for the fact of two things number one uh blockchain is fairly new is uh, rather cryptocurrency law is fairly new we're talking 2010. It hasn't been 10 years since we've had a chance to build some precedent in a court of law. Secondly, many, if not most, blockchains and also cryptocurrencies have presented themselves as scamish. And so there's not been a lot of good examples to use from that aren't also cutting us at the legs, like cutting us before we even get to the point where it's legitimate. So a lot of the precedent out there does us more harm than good, legally. There just hasn't been a lot. But when we have issues like this, where people have invested actual fiat currency that is exchangeable on a regular fiat platform, such as a grocery store, which is a platform where you exchange good for services or, or, or money for services or goods, we have actual money that's going into a blockchain and it is being allocated elsewhere, then it gets interesting. And now we're dealing with not just in initial coin offerings, but actual investments into personal blockchains that increase, or sorry, personal accounts that increase built upon various ways of, of uh, accumulating wealth and assets and, and, and all that sorts of things. So when we talk about theft, that's what we're referring to on this show. We're talking about people had accounts that were, I don't know if we can call it hacked into, but that's what I like to refer to it as. It was hacked away from ownership because a new blockchain was formed that basically left them out. And so we determined that it was, that we, we determined that it was theft. We're not going to spend a lot of time today determining that it was theft. We're going to, we're just going to assume that that was theft. And we had some lovely words from some individuals who came on and made that very clear. <laughs> so what we're doing today is we want to talk about how that implicates those who are basically enabling this, this hard fork to further continue. And what you're saying is those who are running the nodes that complete these blocks that are on this new blockchain that has left those stakes behind, left those account values out, and essentially rendered them null. Actually, we didn't, it didn't render a null, it put them into a new account is what they did. So it's still, it was stolen. It wasn't just rendered nothing. It was stolen but funds. It's, but it's not, it's not a new blockchain. Right, okay, it's- It's, it's the same blockchain just had a code change. And it's really, I know all the 
about about blockchain law and ICOs and stuff, all very interesting. But really, at the end of the day, it's really as simple as this. Someone at the bank changed the software to take the money out of 65 accounts and put it into another account. That's what the police are going to look at. Yes. Not going to be, it doesn't matter any of this other stuff. It's, it's just very simple. You change computer code, you take money out of some people's accounts and give it to somebody else. It's just like basic theft. Don't need to get into any of the other stuff because it overcomplicates it. Okay, perfect. It doesn't matter. Perfect. There's one, there's one part I'd like to sort of simplify, which is something that crops up all the time in the blockchain sense is that you get the sort of, should we say, blockchain uh, maximalists who will say, well, code is law, and Justin Sun, by some means, arrived at 51% of the power on Steam so that he could vote in whoever he wanted and he could vote for whatever code he wanted, and the code he voted for did something, and code is law. Well, the, the point that Andrew made in his post and that we're sort of trying to make a lot more people see is uh, just because it's a blockchain, it does not remove it from the laws of the nations that we all live in. And if there's one basic law that pretty much all of the West, all civilized world uh, ascribes to, it's this law of theft. And it's this, this, this comparison to a bank, I think, is, is a really apt one. You know, banks all do have software. The whole point of Bitcoin and decentralized blockchain were that we, we could just remove the bank manager from the equation. We didn't actually have to trust the bank. The trouble is, as soon as a blockchain is central, and Justin Sun's 51% attack in March resulted in a centralization of Steam. Steam is no longer a decentralized blockchain. It's just a centralized database Correct. like a bank would run. And he changed the software to delete people's money and move it from their account to his account. Perfect. That's I think it. That, that's why yeah. it's so simple. I think it is simple. You guys have really broken it down really well. It, it you can really compare this to the software that a bank uses. It's just a software. It is a software that's used that wrote out 65 accounts that was worth hundreds or hundreds of thousands or or I don't know how many it was. I actually haven't done the math, but hundreds of thousands it's of dollars. Seven million dollars. Seven million. Oh, seven million. Okay, I was thinking seven it. Seven million dollars. And that this is the, the, the fun part is that, that as far as law enforcement is going to be concerned it, and when they get around to looking at this, they're going to ask how much was the steam worth at the moment that it was stolen. Exactly. And funnily enough, it pumped right at, right at the, the sort of hour or so on either side of the fork. It pumped up to, I, I think it was almost 28 cents or something. So. You said either yeah, side of the fork? Either side of the fork? Yeah, it, was, it was actually 30, almost 30 cents. It was 29.8 half an hour before the hive walk. So yeah. someone, probably Justin Trump, pumped it so that the theft was more. Hilarious. Oh, wow. Because, if, because if that's they're, not... They're not gonna, no, nobody outside of our little steam and hive world is going to care that it was 23.6 million, 23 million steam. That's just an irrelevant number. They just want to know, you know, how much was the dollar value. Right. And that's, and, and when, you know, that's the number you'll go to prison for, rather than <laughs> how much steam it was. I love uh, that. Because that's a big number. And the way I've been saying it to people colloquially, when I've, I've explained this to like non-blockchain people, is that what what happened, what we all sat around watching on, um, you know, geekily on Steam D, we all sat there and watched CCTV of someone going into a jewelry store and robbing all of the jewelry. And, and we've got the CCTV camera. And even better than that, 
from the night before on GitHub, we've got the CCTV of the thieves plotting the heist. And then, of course, we, you know, we were we were treated to the the the, the total and utter uh, plot twist of Community Three Two One sending it all off, putting it in the in the in the in the heist van to take it away, and then taking it back to to a safe deposit box. Actually, I want to correct you and say that the hive says, no, we witnessed the manager of the store <laughs> getting the van ready. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, the whole thing is, is uh, yeah, and, and what's, I'm tired of everyone saying $5 million was stolen. That is a ridiculous, 26 million steam is not 5 million. I'm afraid, you know, yeah, he dicked it. The thing is that in this instance, we're, we're really going to be able to say that it was worth seven because yeah. there was a market, it was tradable. Now, now the niceties yes. of the fact that you could not sell, obviously, that much steam in one go at that market, but that stuff, when it comes to actually having, you know, talking in a court of law, you're going to be on very ropey grounds if you say, but I didn't steal seven million, I only stole four million because you couldn't sell it that far. I mean, we could get into that. That is some ropey ground, as you said. We could get into that. Maybe we'll do that later. But the point is, you're right, that it was money. It was stolen. It was of a certain value. What value, we can't be sure, but we can absolutely determine there was a specific value. We could probably come to a consensus on that value based on several different authorities. But the point is, you guys are right, that it is something of a bank software that has been rewritten to steal money from certain private owners. Now, what we're getting into today is how, what we're basically saying is using that bank analogy is that those who are continuing to support that new software that the bank has written are considered complicit in the heist. And whether they like it or not, whether they consider themselves complicit whether they agree or disagree, every single time they run a blockchain, a block from that particular fork, they are literally saying, if I'm not mistaken, yes, I agree to this block chain. I agree to this fork. When I run a block on this fork, on my node, I am putting my stamp of approval on the way that this looks. Is that, is that basically what you're saying? Yeah, that's that's right. That's that's exactly right. I mean, you know, code. A contract is written in lawyers' English, and you know, code on GitHub is written on, written in geeks' English. Um, they're both not very easily interpretable for regular people, but they can be interpreted. It's a, a code, code, a GitHub piece of code that can be considered a legal agreement if a whole lot of people agree to run it. So you know, and it doesn't even have to be a full legal agreement for a conspiracy. It was you know the instructions for a theft. So yeah, you're you're endorsing it by running the code. You're endorsing it now. You know whether or not how far law enforcement take it. You know I don't know, but I'll tell you what. I've been general counsel of big tech companies. There was no way I'd be running that code. Um, I would be saying, do not run that code. That code implements theft. There was a conspiracy to make this happen. Where Listen in it, especially yeah. if, if you run it, especially when you're an exchange, because an exchange is the sort of final step you need to actually implement a theft or something, because it's how it gets out into the fiat world. So, yeah, the exchanges should not be running that code. Um, 
it's, a, it's, it's an implicit agreement to it, and it can bring them into the conspiracy, so they shouldn't be running. I know that Bitrex is not running it, Binance is not running it. Um, I think Huabi is, though, and they shouldn't be. So tell us what you tell us what you want to tell us about the notice from Binance to quote Binance would like to confirm we do not condone this type of behavior. We believe that blockchains should not be used as a tool for censorship or editing. (laughs) I like the word editing, editing user balances. I think it's a little more than editing, but uh, okay. What do you say about it? Because because in the notice, they say fellow Binanceans in the spirit of transparency, Binance has received a request to upgrade the Steam network to version 2.23, a hard fork which includes the following. An update to reduce the power down uh, from 13 weeks to 4 weeks and blacklisting of 65 counts which collectively hold 23.6 million, which they refer to as 5 million USD, effectively removing their balances from the Steam blockchain. Binance would like to confirm we do not condone, condone this type of behavior and believe that blockchains should not be used as a tool for censorship or editing user balances. Binance decided not to initiate the upgrade. We've been unable to sync up to the latest Steam block height, and as such, deposits and withdrawals of Steam have remained suspended. So this is where it gets really interesting because Binance has essentially done that, that true blue thing that you're suggesting others should be doing. Am I right? Well, I mean, Binance said that they wanted to run the code because they wanted to let users get their funds. Right. Um, and I understand it's an inconvenience, and it's inconvenience for me too because I'd like to get my steam on. But, you know, it's, a, it's an inconvenience that hopefully is temporary because I'm only saying don't run the code until Bittrex returns the funds to its users. Right. To the, all the people it was stolen from. So if Bittrex can get, you know, a wriggle on and and return the stolen steam, then everyone can get on with, you know, um, re-enabling um, deposits and, and withdrawals. But the longer Bitrex takes to um, to return the steam that was stolen, you know, the longer it creates a situation where running that code is, is problematic. Well, and I like how you use the word longer as a as as though it's actually going to happen. I don't know what your take is, Brian, but. I feel like this is a game of chicken, and I don't see any eggs being laid here in the near future. Well, the, the, the issue with Bitrex is whether or not... Bitrex is going to have to try and work out how much of the steam that was transferred is actually claimed. Because Justin, Justin publicly declared, um, you know, when the GitHub code was launched, he made it very clear that this code was not from him, and that he and Steemit had nothing to do with implementing this code. Right. Yeah, right. Um, but he just elected that mean, all the witnesses that did it. <laughs> yeah, he just he what? Just elected all the, the witnesses that did it. But, <laughs> but that also meant that at the moment that all of the Steam was put into Community 321 and then moved out of Community 321 into Bittrex, it's very hard to see who can go to Bittrex and claim that that Steam is theirs except for the 65 original accounts from which it was taken. Correct. Because, and they've already soft for Community 321 to, to be, you know, they can't change the keys because we all know that, you know, so once you've lost control of the keys of an account, you can't do anything with that account. So they've, they've basically nullified Community 321. So as far as Bittrex is concerned, 
it, the, the interesting part is going to be whether anybody uh, from the witness side and from Justin Steen's camp goes to Bittrex and asks for the cash. If they do that, as far as I'm concerned, they're owning up to the theft. So, but, you know, what we're in is the usual problem. Look, I mean, just totally unrelatedly, about three weeks before I sent a thousand pi to Bittrex, but I used my Steam memo. And that, that took about two weeks to resolve, which, you know, in the global scheme of things, is not bad. I, I do bad. remember that but being was, an issue. I remember you not being the only one. It, it was my mistake. I mean, I made no bones about it. It was, you know, it was just dumb copy-paste. Um, and I got my funds all back, and that was fine. But it did take a couple of weeks. This is, you know, this is on another scale altogether. That was a high, <laughs> quite obvious one. Yes. Um, and this is, this really is, you know, a movie. So, but... Why why doesn't Bitrex just say or Binance just say, oh, oh whoops, oh oh we just received seven million dollars. Oh, okay, well, what are we gonna do now? Like we have multiple options. We can contact the proper owners of this said uh illicitly received dollars. We can contact police, we can contact SEC. There's multiple things we can do. We can contact Justin's son and tell him, guys, we're not doing squat till you give this back. I mean, it's unfortunate that Binance has to be caught in the middle, but at the same time, and yes, they do have an obligation. And I think that that comes into criminal negligence if they don't follow suit with that obligation. However, how fair is it to the, to the users who are having their accounts frozen and now maybe losing out because they can't trade their tokens all because Binance is supposedly being morally above reprehensible. I mean, what do we what do we do? What would you recommend? What would you say is the best go from now, from this point forward to make it so that all things were well again? What like ideally? Okay, so so you you talk about Binance Am I... has the stolen funds, Trex has the ability to give those funds back to the original people. Right, you're right, sorry. The 65, um, most of those 65 have accounts on Bitrex, um, and I think a lot of them anyway have already written to Bitrex and said, yes, this is my account, this is the money that's stolen, um, please return it to me. Sorry, I think I misunderstood. I thought I thought we were suggesting that Binance had the ability to reallocate those funds from Bitrex to the proper owners. So that that was an oversight. Only Bit, no, the, the funds are with Binance. So funds with Bitrex, sorry. Correct. Binance is, is just a, a separate issue. Bit, Bitrex is the one that has the ability. To okay, then this. then Bitrex isn't going to get the money back. Let's just assume that. So then, where does Binance come in? Because they're 
they well, sooner or later because sooner or later the money will be returned um it might have to wait till law enforcement gets involved um you know it could take quite a while but so, you know sooner or later the money will be returned bitrex can't just hold on to it they can they have to hold on you know they have to work out what to do with it and it does take time you know companies have to deal with they'll have to get some legal advice etc Sooner or later, it will be returned. Um, it's there, and Bitrex, you know, Bitrex has got it, so Bitrex can return it. Okay. They, they may demand, you know, a law enforcement order or even a court order. I don't know exactly how it's going to go. Or they could decide that people have provided evidence that it was their funds and that it was stolen and just return it. We, we don't know what's going to happen. Okay, but you and I both, you and I both know that, like. You go to court, it's going to be two years before a court order like that comes out. It, this is different than just freezing assets or causing a financial restraining order on both parts. Like, <clears throat> it's not like we're going to get a judge to say, oh, yeah, why don't you put that back? And then and then once we decide. It's not, you know, everyone, I know why. Everyone thinks the law is always really slow. It's not. It's not always really slow. The law can act really quickly sometimes. You can get you can get injunctions, um, emergency injunctions in a day to stop certain things. Um, courts aren't always really slow. Courts are really slow when it's really complex cases, you know, with huge amounts of evidence and all sorts of things. This is not a complex case. There's not huge amounts of evidence. It's really quite simple. And courts can move. I'm not talking necessarily weeks, but that's what wouldn't necessarily take two years. If you had to go to court, probably could be done in six months or less. Okay, um, that's, I'll buy it. Law enforcement could be quicker. Law enforcement could look at this and say, you know, in four or five weeks, they could go, yep, this is theft, Bitrix, give it back. And Bitrix says, okay, great, you know, this issue was a button. You know, I think Bitrix is, Bitrix is, I think, taking the position, oh, this is all too hard, it's not my pay grade. Someone tell me what to do. Um, you know, someone with a court order or law enforcement. So that could happen as well. It doesn't okay. necessarily mean it's going to take years. Uh, not at all. In the meantime, we've got Binance kind of in a pickle with its supposed constituents. So they're, we're just going to have to hold on. We're going to have to hold our horses until something happens, either law enforcement-wise or Bitrex decides to concede. What would your recommendation to Bitrex be at this point? If you were, I mean, you obviously can't say this, but if you were their lawyer, I mean, if I were their lawyer, I'd be making this really complicated. I would make it super complicated. The, the, there's another option the exchanges have. The exchanges aren't like uh, for the innocent party. They're not that innocent, but they're not powerless. If the exchanges can stay, you know, to sustain witnesses, revert to hard form 22.5, or we'll delist you guys. All of you. I agree. It will be worthless. De you know, revert to 22.5 or we'll delist you. They've got the power to do that. They can exercise that power. Um, so, you know, they can do that direct. Some are... The worst comes to worst. They can damn well do what they did that caused this problem in the first place. They can just power up their steam, vote out Dustin Sun's witnesses, and put in witnesses that reverted to 22.5. <laughs> they can do that. It's not, it's See, look at preferable option, but they did it before for a nefarious purpose. Exactly. Why can't they do it now? Why can't they do it now? We, obviously, the exchanges could have some influence. Some say that 
Justin's son is a member of the triad and that the exchanges are nervous and they don't want to piss him off. I don't know how that works, but I do know that if I was a witness on on the Steam on the Steam blockchain right now, uh and I couldn't influence my brothers and sisters in witnessing to just revert back to 22.5, There's that's gotta say something. Either they're in it as a conspiratorial part of the piece, of the, of the picture, or they're afraid. I don't know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of an exaggeration to say Justin's son's a member of the triad. I mean, really, like his utter incompetence in this entire thing, he would not, he, you know, triads wouldn't let him in. He's a very incompetent thief. Triads don't get caught. Triads don't leave a massive a huge, of evidence for police to go Huge out. trail. Sorry. <laughs> if he's a triad, then he's the worst. He's the worst one. <laughs> he's led him straight to it. <laughs> like, seriously. No, he's not a triad member, I don't think. Okay. <laughs> if I was running a triad, I certainly wouldn't let him in. And, and if, he, if he'd done what he'd done, he'd already be dead in a river. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think he's a member of a triad. Okay. I'm loving, I'm loving all your responses. Let's see if we can shift gears a little bit. And uh, for interest of time as well, we wanted to talk about your other endeavors, which I had up on my screen. And now I need to go find the link. If you want to go ahead and start it with that, and then I'll go grab that link. With the class action lawsuit, we... Yeah. We were we were t chatting about this, and I did have some questions for you. Could you give us a little bit of an explanation as to try try and water it down just a little bit because your your experience in law is competition law, and by that we basically mean uh, preventing monopoly. Am I correct? Yeah, antitrust. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have lots of experience, but that's what's relevant in this in this case. Look, <clears throat> very simply, as many of you remember. Um, Crypto was going great guns, you know, market record levels. Um, and then Facebook um, announced a ban on all cryptocurrency-related advertising. Um, the market then dropped um, a lot. Um, and then Google followed suit um, a few weeks later, banned, and then Twitter followed suit and banned. The market, the market ended up dropping. It, it depends on the coin, but... Coins like Steam, coins like uh, uh, Ethereum, dropped 90-95% over the ensuing months as these um, ad bans were um, were implemented. Um, Repeat you know, that. Is, Repeat that again. What? What? What did you just say? They dropped in. Yeah, if Steam was six dollars fourteen the day before uh, Facebook announced their ad ban, and we know it went down to about fourteen cents. Um, and Steam wasn't alone. Most people focus on Bitcoin. Bitcoin's sort of mostly recovered, but almost all the other altcoins haven't, particularly the altcoins that run uh, dApps, that run applications like um, Ethereum, EOS, uh, Steam Hive, uh, Library, ones that are, in, that are in this sort of space um, that actually potentially directly competes with Facebook and Google because it's a new way of doing the internet. It's not just cryptocurrency, it's decentralized applications. So those coins dropped by up to 95% so over the ensuing months. Let me, pause, let me pause you for just a second. When the first time that I asked you about this, I said, how 
how was this announcement made? This announcement that Facebook made that ad bans for cryptocurrency would now be enforced or in action, then your response was it was in their terms and conditions, correct? So it's not like they went out publicly and said, hey, you can't do you can't do crypto ads. It was it was in the terms and conditions, but it still no, is they a did make the public announcement. They made public announcements. Okay. And then they put and they put then they implemented it in their terms and conditions of the contract that they have with everybody. So but let's say hypothetically let's say hypothetically they had contracts with a few well we'll just say a few, but we'll just say they had some contracts with some crypto co co companies whereby they allowed those companies to do advertising. They were doing Google AdSense or what have you. And then all of a sudden they implement a new term in the contract that says we're going to be banning all ads related to crypto companies. And we know that we have a contract with you, but we just changed our mind. Is that what you're saying happened? Um. Yes, but it's important to understand that Facebook and Google and Twitter have contracts with, well, in terms of Facebook, with everybody who's ever been on Facebook. Um, with Google, anyone that's ever used AdWords, and same with Twitter. And so the, these contracts are with like, like three quarters of the, or half the planet, okay? And they put in a contract that, they, with, that the other side of that contract was half the planet, a term that restricted supply, it banned um, cryptocurrency ads. Now, the law is, and it comes from the law, it's related to the law of cartels. So we'd all be familiar with the fact that you, two companies who are in competition with each other can't get together to fix the price. They can't make an agreement to fix the price. Um, they also can't make an agreement to restrict supply of services that they're competitive in because that can also be has a similar effect to fixing the price correct in australia the law is very explicit on this the america antitrust laws a bit of a disaster no one's run a successful case in a couple of decades pretty much but in australia it's very clear you can't make an agreement a contract arrangement or understanding with someone who's a competitor of yours that restricts supply of services that you're competitive in. Now, the crypto industry and the most of the internet industry um, are in the business of internet advertising, as are Facebook, Google, and Twitter. So the service that was restricted was internet advertising. Facebook and Google and Twitter are competitive with each other and everyone else in internet in those that, that particular service, and they made an agreement that bound between each other and everybody else that restricted supply. And that's the, the, just three things you have to show, a contract, a clause that, res, a, a, that restricts supply, and that you, they're competitive about the services. That was my, yeah. It's illegal. Yeah, that was my third one, is, is it's obvious there's a contract, it's obviously we're, they were restricting supply, my little point was that can we prove or establish that there was competition between them? And so that's probably going to be more your department where there are actual legal and business definitions for competition. Competition in the in the regular sense of the word is like you're kind of neck and neck. Who's going to win? Who's going to win the race? Like this is not competition in this sense. Competition simply means someone who's in the same industry, who's trying to achieve the same types of goals. It doesn't necessarily mean 
they're on the on par with each other. It just means that they want active ability to use the same space for the same purpose, correct? Well, yes. Well, it means if one looks at Google and Facebook, they 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 pretty much dominate more than fifty percent of all advertising in almost every country in the world. Those two together. So to say that they're not competitive with each other is impossible. No, to so, say that they're not that they're not competitive with smaller companies like like. Yeah, the, but they're, they're competitive with smaller companies because it's internet advertising. It's competitive doesn't mean you're equal in winning the race. It just means you're in the race. Right. I, you know, uh, Brian's little website um, that sells a little bit of internet advertising, or you know, some you know anyone's little site that sells steam it steamit site before they went you know that sold a little bit of advertising they are both both supplying internet advertising and also acquiring because everyone's also trying to pull their stuff so basically everyone in the whole internet space including facebook and google and twitter are all competitive with each other in both the acquisition and supply of internet advertising services um because they're all supplying these services and they're also all acquiring them. You know, Facebook ads advertising on Google and Google advertising on Facebook and Facebook ads on Twitter and, you know, Steam and advertisers. You know, every, everyone's, everyone's advertising on everyone else's right. platform. Um, so they're all competitive with each other. And the point um, is that we, the point is that we want to, be, like, we want to be able to allow for success by more than just two conglomerates. That's the whole point of these competition laws. I do have a couple of questions. Um, first is I wanted to ask pretty soon if you have any specific clients, which I don't know if you're allowed to divulge, but if you have cl like clear-cut clients in this lawsuit. And number two, how do you and Brian know each other? Are you working for the same uh, funding, law, the, the law firm? How is, it, how is it you working together?
you know, being friends with the wrong person in the UK. And I'd helped build up a page uh, on Facebook to 1.2 million followers. But it was a Facebook page. And so one night, when this guy did something that the British government didn't, and he had a, a swing at the BBC, um, the next day, the Facebook page was deleted. Now, that was a huge asset. We had enormous uh, engagement and traffic. We were the bu busiest political page in the UK. And it was taken overnight. And I, that, that led me to understand that, you know, not my keys, not my site. I didn't own anything. Facebook owed us nothing. And so that combined with this, this idea that Facebook, Twitter, and Google took this action, which deliberately destroyed an up-and-coming competitor. And, you know, if you look around the sort of the bigger picture of blockchain is that these centralized services that Google run out of their huge server farms and Facebook, the thing that can beat them could be blockchain. I don't know if it will. I don't know if Steam and Hive, now Hive, can one day go past Facebook. But bloody hell, but somebody's got to try. And, I mean, just this week, I sort of came across a tweet from Jack Dorsey. So in January, Facebook, Facebook put in this advertising ban in January 2018. In January 2018, you know what Jack Dorsey was tweeting about? Was that, isn't it wonderful that Cash, which is his other you can now buy Bitcoin. But he was shilling Bitcoin. And weeks later, Twitter banned the advertising of cryptocurrency. But there's a little exclusion in their policy. This is how sneaky these people are. Their policy says, oh, we might allow cryptocurrency advertising if, if it's on behalf of a large established company that right. is a, a public company on a recognized stock exchange. Okay, so no. basically, that allows his cash which is part of Square, which is floated on NASDAQ, that they would continue to be allowed to advertise in cryptocurrencies, but most of the other smaller startups that were that were present in the market were wiped out by it. So let me now, play let me play a little let me play a little bit of devil's advocate there. Because I if I were the owner of Facebook or YouTube or Google, I would have a responsibility to not only my users, but to my viewers and to those who consumed my content, especially those who consume my content. To, to, to break this down, let's use a really simple analogy. We're talking about with the Hive blockchain, and this is a free speech platform where we, we censor very, very little, if anything at all, on the Hive blockchain. If you take something like uh, plagiarism, for example, which is which is David's favorite subject, <clears throat> and this is a discussion that happens all the time, which is a legitimate discussion, as 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 annoying as it is. The Hive blockchain, just as any other platform, has a responsibility to its consumer, at the very least, to reduce or prohibit certain types of illegal behaviors. For example, we're not just limiting it to this, but for the sake of this argument. We don't want to be promoting content that's plagiarized, fraudulent, or copyrighted. So in that same vein, you yourself just admitted, okay, I had this huge uprising. I had this huge following with this company on Facebook, and then it was obliterated in a second. One fell swoop, we were done for just because of something that, they, that we posted they didn't like. And then it occurred to you, you did not belong to them. 
And in their opinion, maybe whatever you said, maybe what you said was a competition issue, but what if what they're doing is eliminating competition that is not necessarily competition, but a threat to the viability of their product? Meaning, and you know where I'm going with this, as, an, as a devil's advocate, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with you, but they have the responsibility to protect their consumer because they are liable for content that is disseminated, advertised, promoted, or enthusiastically shared that they could be held accountable for. In an extreme well, example- the argument in America right now. Can I just answer this? Because it's important to say a couple of things. Firstly, they're not liable, so it's utter rubbish. They're not liable. Section 230 of the Communications Act um, in the US means they're not liable. So that's just rubbish. That was changed. That was recently changed in the Supreme Court. They are liable and they will be held liable for those kinds of things that happen, including and not limited to plagiarism, sex trafficking, child pornography, and dissemination of false content that could least lead to people losing assets or causing harm, including the COVID issues, which is why YouTube has removed several of the the COVID and uh, coronavirus content because they cannot. And Blue Robo and I got into this because they cannot keep track of all of the things out there. So they kind of have an algorithm to block out everything until they can manually certify that it's okay. Look, it's a little slow. The first thing I want to say is about Hive, because you started with Hive. Hive doesn't have a responsibility as a platform to do anything, okay? People decide on Hive that they don't like plagiarism and they don't like copyright infringement. So they download it. It's a, it's a community, you know, people do it. People like Marky Mark do a job. And why do people do it? They do it because they want that platform to be a platform that they're happy with. And they download it, but they don't censor it. It just gets downloaded. You can still see it if you want to. So firstly, Hive doesn't have a responsibility to do this. Um, it's being done because people want their investments to be worth more. That's so fair. I'll give you that. Hive is, Hive is a separate issue. Now, the individual platforms, okay, at the time, firstly, crypto is and was legal. There was the idea that crypto was like sex trafficking or something is completely false. It, crypto is and was legal. There was nothing illegal at all in in these. Uh, well, perhaps in the United States, which is not the whole world, there was starting to be some SEC discussion about whether ICO um, ads were okay, but there hadn't been any regulatory decision on it. Okay. And these are private companies. They have an obligation to comply with an order from the SEC and comply with the law. They don't have a right to take the law into their own hands. So you're, so just to interrupt, you're saying... So just say, okay. It's important to say that, firstly, the ban was extensive. It wasn't just ICO. It was all sorts of things. Um, the vast majority of that, what was banned was perfectly legal. The allegation that there were so many scams is utter rubbish and has been disproven by the Australian Competition Regulator who found that in the relevant period, the number of actual crypto scams was very small and it was mostly impersonation scams, i.e. you say you're selling Bitcoin, but you're not. You say to the Australian Taxation Office, but you're not. That's not crypto's problem. So there's been a there's been an unfortunate tendency in the industry to call every poor business a scam. A poor business is not a scam. A scam requires criminality. So when they banned it, they actually had no legal justification.
only part of the world we might be possibly liable, that's no excuse. It's no excuse. They banned it in the entire world. ICOs are perfectly legal in Australia, okay? Perfectly legal in Australia. There's an exemption from securities legislation in Australia for barter. So if you buy, like, buy with Ethereum some ICOs, it's barter and it's exempt, okay? It's in the UK, it was heavily regulated. Only the US was even taking a harsh stance on this. And the US isn't the whole world. They banned the whole world. And selling crypto wallets, trying to promote Steam, and this is something really important. Steam was being promoted by ads being done by Jerry Bansfield on a crowdfunded thing. It's the highest number of new users in one day was the day before they banned the ads. Steam was going berserk um, with new users, new activity, the highest posting levels, all sorts of things. And they banned it, so you couldn't promote Steam anymore. There was nothing illegal about Steam, nothing illegal about posting on the Steam blockchain, and they banned it. So they have absolutely no excuse. They have no defense under the law. And there's one very important thing. If they had any legitimate basis, they should have approached the Australian Competition Regulator and sought authorization, but they didn't do so. So the whole idea that they were really trying to save consumers and stuff is absolute rubbish. It's total rubbish. And what the truth was that they were secretly planning their own crypto entity yeah. through Facebook Libra. Right. The Libra. These are, you're really prepared. I I would love to see you in court. I'd love to be the judge listening to your verbal argument and you basically establishing, I mean, you'd have, you'd have to get some foundation in there to establish the things that you've just said. And I'm assuming you will, but. We have, it's already in all that. We've got, we've got uh, hundreds of pages of affidavits and evidence already to go on this. This is a very well prepared case. I do think, I do think where, where, were I Facebook or Google, I would be using the argument of liability and I would be using the argument of the ICO scams because those can be scams as well in themselves, the Ponzi schemes. I would also be using the argument of, uh, like, okay, let's take the Jerry Banfield. I think that's perfect. He He's actually perfect. This is a perfect analogy here because he was bringing in tons of new users, which were super grateful for he did a ton to boost the ecosystem of the steam blockchain back when like two years ago when it was at its high when he was at his height and then he got banned from facebook and it was such a debacle and also udemy i think banned him as well as far as i understand which is where he started you know teaching little courses on this and that and the other but my concern is, is if i were facebook my, my complaint or my, I guess, argument would be that what if, you know, what if Jerry Banfield was making kind of um, false advertisements? What if his own advertisement, as much as the Steam blockchain wasn't making the advertisements, what if he was making advertisements that were luring people in and being false in their pretenses and then people were getting sucked into depositing their personal wealth into a blockchain that maybe did return on investment but didn't necessarily meet the criteria that he was providing. I do think that Facebook has a thing that every advert on Instagram that my wife scrolls past and every product that she sees is going to be exactly <laughs> described in the, in the 
and make good on every promise that it's based. I mean, okay. This is the world of this is. They cannot ban an industry to you know on the grounds of protecting themselves to that degree. Can I? I just want to circle back around because it's exactly very relevant to where we started with the Fed. That was good, by the way, Brian. Thank you for that rebuttal. There's an important, very important principle in the law that you can't take the law into your own hands. Facebook and Google and stuff don't have any obligation to police this stuff. They've got they've got a lot of exemptions. Uh, they do not have obligations to police this stuff. They have the obligation to comply with the law. And the laws that they couldn't get together and ban crypto ads, the law didn't say that they had to go and make the make the internet a safe space for their users. It didn't say that. There, there might be some very limited exceptions, but mostly they were protected from all this stuff. Um, so they didn't have to do that. So they're not the, the they're not the internet police. They shouldn't be. And the, the, the behaving as the internet police when they're they're not legitimate law enforcement is illegal. And that's they've got themselves behaving as if they're, they're they are the law enforcement when they're not. They don't have a right to ban things. So, you know, they end up infringing another law that's criminal, by the way. So, I mean, very little of what you described okay. was ever criminal. But what they've done is criminal. This this can put uh, Facebook and Google executives in jail. What they've done is... What they've done is criminal because they had three things. They had a contract, they had compet they had competition, and they had uh re limiting of what was it? how was you how would you phrase it? Yeah, restricting supply. Restricting, restricting supply. And I think we might be making the mistake, we might be making a mistake of of blurring some things here. With regards to content, to general content, and this is going to be my fault because I'm the one who brought in the analogy of content, but with regards to content that you're going to see on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, everywhere you go, content, if I own the channel, I can pull your content if I don't like it. It's my channel. I can say what I want. I'm the one who broadcasts it. You belong to me. Your account belongs to me. We know if your account is on Facebook, it does not belong to you. It belongs to Facebook. If I start doing things on Facebook that Facebook doesn't like, they can pull my channel all they want. I don't have a contract with them. Correct? They can't put in their terms and conditions that they won't supply advertising to the whole crypto industry. That's illegal. That's right. They could, you know, they, if they, if on an individual basis, if they um, had something that said in their terms and conditions that we don't like alcohol advertising or something, they could stop alcohol advertising. But if, the, if they were in the business of alcohol selling, they couldn't do it. This is this is really what it gets down to. If they they can stop, you know, people advertising sex toys, um, alcohol, you know, marijuana, um, you know, sex stuff, whatever. They can stop that, but they can't stop people advertising services that are competitive with their services because that infringes competition law. So let's break that, this down. That's the crux that's the crux of the matter. They took the law into their own hands and ended up attacking and banning their competitors in a way that was anti-competitive. Um, and that's why they go down. So just so I understand, Jerry Banfield, hypothetically, let's just use his example, hypothetically had a contract with Facebook when he clicked on the terms and conditions and says, I agree. Those are the contracts you're referring to? Yes. Okay. And he, he hypothetically 
was banned as a competitor in that space. Well, I don't know about his banning from Facebook. I'm referring to the fact that a Facebook banned putting up crypto ads, um, and that stopped his campaign that was very successful in driving Steam. So just let's say there's never been an ad ban. It's quite possible that by now Steam would be a serious competitor to Facebook. The rate it was growing at that time, it could well have been to be a serious competitor to Facebook. But instead they banned its ads, and Steam then went down from 6.14 to 14 cents from, you know, uh, huge numbers of users a day to very few, every metric, not just the price, every single metric. So, and then I don't know why they banned him from Facebook afterwards. Maybe they banned him because he was still trying to put up crypto ads. I've got a couple so, questions yeah. I want to read you. Uh, these are good. So Foxon says, just kind of reiterating what you mentioned earlier, the existence of Libra, which is the cryptocurrency that Facebook intends to use along with a few other conglomerates. The existence of Libra really wrecks Facebook's advertising ban. So I, I, I agree there. Uh, Blue Robo says, isn't it their decision who they do business with? And what you're saying is, uh, okay, so how do we answer that? Could they then say, if you're a cryptocurrency, you can't do business with us? But in this case, but it would be a, discrimination. There's a difference between that and what Facebook did. Facebook didn't have someone come into their cake shop and before a contract was formed say, no, I don't want to serve you. Facebook had existing contracts with all these people and put in a term and condition in those existing contracts that restricted supply. It's Correct. It's the same thing. Correct. If Facebook, if Facebook had refused to um, enter into a contract with any of the, one of the cryptocurrency industry in the first place, right. And that would be a different story, and maybe that story would be also along the lines of anti antitrust as well as discrimination. Because again, you're refusing to do business with me because I'm in the same competitive space. Yeah, that's right. There's, there's other, there's various other competition laws that they could be caught under as well. Because they're monopolists. That's the that's the other thing to remember. You know, the, the small little mum and pup business um, has more rights um, than a big monopolistic company. Big companies or you know a duopoly that control like they do i think 90 percent of the internet advertising market they they can't act in a in an anti-competitive way so they don't have the same rights to choose who their customers are i i work just give you a background i worked for telstra which was australia's at&t um, and you know we knew i worked in the competition law area and actually then i worked for sydney and austin in the u.s working for AT&T as well, um, doing litigation and competition. We knew when you came as a big telco that you couldn't just go and act anti-competitively um, against the smaller competitors. You couldn't do it. You're going to get pinned. But what Facebook and Google don't seem to have understood uh, because they've come from being tech startups and they've never really got into their head that they're big monopolists now, that they can't behave that way. Um, so, yeah, that's... Uh, so among our listeners today and those who are able to catch this show later, 
what can they do to get involved in this class action if they consider themselves to have been wronged in any of those spaces or if they simply just want to be part of the the furthering of the goal? So anyone who held cryptocurrency early 2018 or actually anyone on Steam because the Steam blockchain continues to be affected long enough can sign up for the what's on Hive. Um, can sign up for the class action on the JPB uh, Lily website. Um, Brian's just put it up. It's a five-minute process to sign up, and that that makes you part of the class action. And when we bring proceedings and hopefully get a nice big settlement, you should hopefully get uh, a nice payout, obviously related to the size of your crypto holdings. You know, if you only and... have 100 bucks worth, well, you could probably only get a few dollars. But if you had 100 million, you might get a few hundred million. Okay. And what you're what you're signing up for there, I just Andy doesn't always say this, but it's like what you're signing up, you're signing that you won't pursue this action on your own, and it's it's fairly unlikely that anybody listening could decide to sue Google, Facebook, and Twitter all together in an Australian court on their own behalf alone. This is the kind of thing that is going to take. A joint action. That's what class action is for. But that—that's the only thing you're giving up. Is yeah. Is, it's, it's no. It's no win, no fee. And so yeah, there's really, you know, the only, as you say, the only thing you're giving up is that right. You you're agreeing as part of the agreement. You're agreeing that thirty percent of the damages you get go to JPB Liberty and the investors. And that's how that's how we fund the whole thing. But seeing as you weren't going to run it, the case yourself, you're actually not losing anything. You're actually gaining. 70% of the damages that you, you, you hopefully receive um, at some point down the track. The Hive just said 30%. Yeah, 30% generally is a class action percentage or any kind of any kind of lawsuit that's taken on lien or on contingency where you don't actually pay the attorney for their work. What they do is they take that percentage on the back end. So whatever the settlement comes out to, it, it generally ends up being around 33%, 30 to 40%. So... Yeah, 30 to 30 to 40 percent in the state so this so this is on the low end actually but um just to explain you know uh, class actions no win no fee taking 30 percent 30 to 40 percent standard very standard very standard 30 30 is the lower end if you if you were um I mean, if you were doing this pro bono, that means you would take no pay and you'd be working for free for, for all these years, working 60 hours a week for free. Most of us don't like yeah. to work for free, especially in our livelihoods. This is your livelihood and you're doing this for the purpose of number one, it is a livelihood. Number two, you're helping the community. You're helping further some pre legal precedents. Number three, we're preventing Google, Facebook and uh Twitter from doing these kinds of things again. And I think a class action lawsuit like this certainly deserves attention, regardless of how much we're getting paid. I, I feel like it, it's kind of a precedential thing. If you if you really think you're gonna get a million dollars out of it, it's not gonna happen. The ones who are gonna get a, a, a larger sum are those who were affected more seriously, like Bitcoin, who lost whatever you said it was, 95% the following two weeks. Ethereum uh, and Steam and yeah, not Bitcoin. Bitcoin, not as much, but the, all, the, all the 
very badly affected. And I do think that... But, and also big project, pro, any projects. Project, you know, there, there are some incredible projects where people had spent a vast amount of money, invested money, and suddenly they were cut off from new customers. That, that made a huge difference. And we've got quite a few stories like that in our, in our case file. Um, and, and the losses are really significant. And if, the, other, the other part of this is that, you know, should we be lucky enough to get a settlement and, or go through even, you know, right to the end and so on? Andrew and I are both committed to the whole blockchain ways of doing things. I mean, we'd love to see the ability to, to pay out through blockchain, which, which this, 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 the headline numbers on this thing are eye-watering. In the beginning, I told Andrew not to say them, but these are, this is hundreds of billions. And if we get even remotely close to that, we start looking at a, at a transfer of wealth from these unassailable tech giants yes. into lots of new technology. This and, is huge. It's, it's redistributing. You know, I'm not a socialist or a communist, but hell, I'd like to gale of creative destruction these big companies. And I love bring it. them down a peg or two. A peg or two is yeah. fine with me. Yeah, it's redistributing. You know, we, we call ourselves in crypto Web 3.0. Okay, it's, it's, re, it's the Web 2.0. Yeah. You know, Facebook and Google yeah. have become extremely powerful and, and very problematic in a lot of ways. And, very. And, and cryptocurrency and blockchains and distributed apps, etc., provide a new and better way of doing things. We see this on Hive and Hive's the example that proves you don't have to have the Facebook way of doing things, which is toxic discussion where people that are supposed to be friends abuse the hell out of each other because the algorithm uh, causes people to fight. Um, and then you get banned if you say anything that the WHO doesn't approve. Um, and even if, even if you're the president of the United States, they start censoring you. Now, when the president of the United States, whether you like him or not, starts getting censored. We know there's a problem. problem. <laughs> um, um, so, whereas we know on Hive, firstly, the discussions are, you can have civilized discussions. Why? Because everyone's got a stake in the game. When people have got a stake in the game, they behave better. People don't troll and abuse. Correct. Because then some whale will downvote them. Yes. So that behavior is much better. And then the sense that, you know, how do we deal with plagiarism? Um, we deal with plagiarism. It's, it's a very nuanced way, and it reflects it's a self-regulatory mechanism where hundreds or thousands of people are all having their bit, and the worst content gets downvoted the most, and the least one that's not as bad gets not as bad. At some point, you know, there's a very balanced approach. It's not this all or nothing. Some, you know, some 25-year-old kid in a Facebook office who doesn't have any experience in the world goes and just decides that, you know, a Facebook page Correct. Users shouldn't be there anymore. It's right. A, we, it's a it's a better solution. Hive proves that there is another way to do this, and this case is about transferring the value from the Facebooks and Googles to this new decentralized cryptocosm Web 3.0. That's that's what we're ideologically about. Um, and imagine what sort of marketing Hive could do with even one percent of the six dollars you know of loss. Even, even six cents for every Hivian, um, you know, would be a lot of money um, in, in terms of market development. Um, 
Right, because a lot of these yeah. folks, a lot of these folks are steamians and now hyvians, and when they get a l even a little bit of that money back, that they that they opportunity cost lost, this this money that they could have had gets put back in their hands. You know where some of that's going, and you know the value here will increase. And it's not why we're doing it, but it is a nice bonus to know that when the money gets into the hands of the, the proper owners where it should have been in the first place, where they would have had, had been allowed their advertising or their project management, we could have been a more flourishing place. And because of these, these terms and conditions, it crashed and it affected everyone. There was a huge trickle down and it did affect economies and it should not be that way. So I completely, you're, you're in my, I'm in your camp uh, we're so excited. It, this has been such an, a rewarding interview. I hope you come again on this show. I know you're out in Israel. It's creeping up on midnight for you. I do it. Yes, yeah, thank you. I enjoyed myself too. Thank, thank you so much. much. You've both been so so helpful. And and I just want to remind everyone as we close up shop today, my. I do not get sponsorship from these people. They should <laughs> because I love them. But I want to talk about Block Card. If you're it for, before we head on to that, make sure you go check out the uh, JPB Liberty. If you'd like to be involved in the class action or just learn a little bit more, you can go to their homepage, which is just scroll up a little bit on the Discord. You'll see it, or you can just read the the blogs that they're printing out on on the subject, keeping us posted. I've been super impressed as a paralegal, a legal professional myself. I have not been disappointed with either of you. I appreciate your content. Um, moving on to the block card, guys, I'm always gonna wanna promote the block card. It is blockcard.io. And the reason I'm happy about this place is because they provide a, a user interface for us to basically cash out our hive and take it to Walmart and buy a loaf of bread. I know not everyone has a Walmart or 7-Eleven, but eventually they'll be able to open it up to more stores. So if you're interested, you guys go check them out, register, use it, try it out, because if we get a thousand users from Hive. They will list us on their card and we will literally have a credit card in hand that we can take to the store and buy groceries with from blogging. It's like, it's instant, it's instantaneous. So fee-less transactions, guys, go check it out. Thanks again for Brian and Andrew for joining us today. Hope you guys have a great sleep. Good night to you all. And good morning and good day to everyone else. Thanks again. We're going to try and do these shows around 2 p.m. every single Sunday. Please be sure and follow me on Hive and on Vim so you know when I'm going live. YouTube as well. You can check me out there. I put these up a couple of days after the show goes live so you can listen to it on my podcast. You can go to any podcast, any major podcast service and uh, look for Crypto Queen and you'll find the shows there as well. All right, you guys, thank you again for your attendance and for your comments. Um, we have about five minutes left in the show, so I'm just going to hang out a bit if anyone wants to get on mic or if we want to just chat in the chats. I'll kind of keep that open and I'm just going to be hanging out. I'm going to go off uh, mic unless um, anyone wants to chat. I'm just going to mute myself. Thanks again, guys.